0: Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September twenty second, two 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, thanks for tuning into the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. Each week, we bring you an in depth interview with a different creative Mississippian. We talk to artists, we talk to musicians, craftspeople, uh, as well as people who help promote the arts in their community. Today, we're going to be talking about blues and the blues life with our guest, Libby Ray Watson, joining us remotely from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Libby Ray, welcome.
1: Hey, thanks, Larry. I appreciate you having me on the show.
0: Well, with the pandemic, we are doing this remotely, but we're both talking together at the same time in different spaces, and we're gonna put this file together, and it'll be just like we were together in the studio in jackson
1: That's right, which we tried to do several times we, just we did
0: try dance. but but, <laughs> but the but the fates have brought us together with this with this new uh, way of doing things,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, Lydia
0: okay. Ray, you are a member of the Arts Commission's Artist Roster, which is a, a group of uh, artists, musicians, craftspeople who are available to do performances and workshops and things around the state. So should people should definitely check you out on there. But we wanted to get to know you more about your music and, and your history as a musician. So first off, maybe just kind of tell people, give people an overview of, of what you do as a performer.
1: Well, uh, um. I, I basically play old traditional style blues as a performer, and it's something that uh, I picked up in, in my early 20s um, as far as playing it. But before then, I had unknowingly been listening to a lot of that old blues through other artists, you know, and not realizing that, um, that the songs those artists were singing were from Mississippi blues people.
0: And you perform at like festivals and uh, right. clubs. T- talk about some of the places people might see you around the state.
1: Well, uh, good question. Now with COVID, <laughs> because, <laughs> but before all this, you know, I I would uh, I, you can always find me at the Sam Chapman Festival in Hollandale, uh, the Juke Joint Festival in Clarksdale, the Hill Country Picnic up in the uh, above Oxford there. Um, uh, King Biscuit Fest I've been there Uh, was supposed to do the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Fest Uh, when I'm around Clarksdale which is a place I like to play a lot because people there seem to get it uh, the style I play and appreciate it Um, we play places like the Shack Up Inn uh, Hambone uh, Art Gallery and Hopeless Case Bar uh, Ground Zero you know, just uh, or any little place around Clarksdale, we love to play Clarksdale because it's such a welcoming crowd. But um, I like playing festivals because they're, they're just a lot of fun. You know, you get to see a lot of different music at festivals. And so that's my preferred place to play. Um, I was supposed to be leaving today to go to Switzerland to play a big festival, but um, obviously we're not doing that. so.
0: People listening may, you know, we've had lots of Delta blues blues musicians, people from North Mississippi, but you are a native of the Gulf Coast. And and I'm just curious about kind of how you how you found this music. Um, Did you have a did you grow up in a musical home? Did you have um, kind of people in your family or community who kind of uh, guided you to this music?
1: Well, let me let me start with family. I have uh, there's six kids in my family. I'm the youngest of the six. Um, my mother died when I was very young. I was only five, so I was basically raised by a man, and uh, we we were outdoors all the time. And not one of my siblings has any musical. Ability, <laughs> so well, they always said I was adopted. <laughs> you know, they didn't know where I came from because I I had the art, the art and the music in me, and um, you know, they it wasn't like it was really pushed or encouraged. That it was just an oddity. I mean, I played in the band in in grade school and junior high and high school. Played the flute, and on my own had picked up ukulele. You know. Uh, guitar in junior high just learning from friends uh, basically but when I was in high school I walked into a music store in Pascagoula called Bird's Music and they had this book that had a photograph on the front of, of Sun House with that national steel guitar and I had just never seen anything like that in my life. And I picked up the book and I started looking through it and it had nothing but traditional blues songs in it. And that just caught my attention because they were so quirky and different from anything I'd seen. So that was probably the um, you know, the first time I really tuned in to that kind of thing. But um, you know, I grew up in a, a small town, Pascagoula was when I was growing up. Um, I lived right down the street from the black high school I used to love to go to watch them, their marching band. It was much more fun than the one I was in. And, uh, you know, the, there was a black church down the street that just sounded like way more fun than the church I was in. So I think I was always just drawn towards that, the culture of, of the, that perpetuates the music, you know.
0: And so when you first found this, you know, the Sun House and that, did you say, like, did you start trying to figure that out yourself or did you have any, Yeah,
1: yeah you know, I like did. How,
0: how did you start incorporating that?
1: Well, I just started trying to figure sitting in a bedroom by myself, trying to learn, you know, chords. And I had some friends that played music, but, um, you know, they didn't play that kind of music, but we could sit around at that time. You know, we were, I'm talking seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, maybe, you know, we were, we we're still being little kids, you know, running down the beach and doing all the stuff, that you do down here on the coast also so um you know i just if i didn't know something i would see if somebody else knew a chord or whatever but basically all self talk that there you know I, I can read music but i don't read music for the guitar you know i just all that's by ear
0: you're listening to the arts hour today on mpb i'm larry morrissey and our guest uh Via remote is Libby Ray Watson. She's an acoustic blues musician from the Gulf Coast, and she's a member of the Arts Commission's artist roster. So, when you were high school or like, were you out performing? Did you join a band? Were you doing folk no, clubs? When did you no. kind of start get out in front of people?
1: Oh, I didn't do that until the uh, early nineties. Really, I mean, it was a long time. I I was just real shy about playing. You know, I, I just didn't think I was. I still don't think I'm that good, but I I definitely knew back then I was not that good, you know, and I I wouldn't have even, it never even occurred to me to join a band or have anything. I was in a high school band, and, uh, you know, and by by high school time, I was, you know, we were were trying to figure out a way to get to New Orleans, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and hear some of that music, but... uh, but I was, you know, not consciously digging into traditional blues even then. It, it that, that probably was always stirred up somewhere in me, and it would just come out every now and then, you know. Um, but it really wasn't until the 90s that I started performing down here on the coast, and it was a little coffee house place over in Bay St. Louis that I used to go play music at. And uh, not long after that, I met a couple of uh, guys from down here on the coast that played music, and we formed a band called the Liberators. And we played all original music, really. It was all about the Gulf Coast, more kind of Jimmy Buffett style, but not, not Jimmy Buffett, you know, didn't sound like him, but it was about the same kinds of things, you know, life on the coast. and. Uh, things like that so we had that band going for about 10 years and um and I still would do a few blues festivals by myself during that time but uh when the band dispersed I started going back into the blues world and then Katrina hit you know so had to revamp from that before I could get back into it again really was probably about 2012 2010 something like that but not long ago you know
0: I'm just curious about kind of the, the influence of of New Orleans music on you, since it was, you, you were in the New Orleans kind of, did you get New Orleans radio? Did you, oh, what was boy, R&B yeah. from New Orleans important? Oh, Talk about Lordy. that a little bit.
1: Yeah, man. W-T-I-X, New Orleans. Yeah, man. That was <laughs> the station I listened to, uh, AM station as as a kid, really. I mean, I'm talking, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10. I had the little AM transistor radio, you know, and i Bebop all around the neighborhood with that thing glued to my ear, listening to Huey Piano-Smith and, you know, uh, Ernie Cato and Irma Thomas, and I thought the whole world heard that music. I had no idea how lucky I was, you know. The concept of radio hadn't hit me as far as that. I didn't realize it was just regional, uh, you know. So uh, I was heavily influenced by New Orleans music. Couldn't help but be.
0: Yeah, that's a great thing to think about. Like, you thought Ernie Cato was like, you know, like the, uh, what, David Cassidy of that time, you know, like this this top 10 guy, right?
1: (laughs) Right, I had no idea, (laughs) you know.
0: This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and our guest today is Libby Ray Watson. She's a acoustic blues musician from the Gulf Coast, and she's a member of the Arts Commission's Artist Roster. That's right. Right. And so in the first segment, you were telling us about um, kind of discovering the blues, and but later on, you actually got to meet some of the very first-generation bluesmen and kind of learn from them. And... Uh, one of the ones I know I've know there's lots of pictures of you with him is uh, Sam Chapman, who was one of the kind of the earliest of the Mississippi blues musicians. So how did that how did that come about? You getting to meet him and and kind of learn from him?
1: Uh, me and a friend drove up to his house and knocked on his door, and he came to the door in Hollandale, and from that day on, he and I just clicked. Um, you know, we became very close during the I guess the last six years of his life, um, and uh, he just was a just top-notch kind of guy. Anyway, I had been around a lot of blues guys who were, you know, t- very talented, of course, but uh, their personal life was, was in shambles, you know, for for different reasons. Sometimes alcohol, you know, or or just just poor you know just excessively poor and and couldn't hang on to it but Sam was different in that he he knew how to get it together his house was very neat he knew how to apply for uh, grants that would help him you know put a new roof on or you know he's pretty sharp dude and um, I think all those all those Chapmans there was a whole bunch of brothers and sisters and all of them were musical but they were all very sharp
0: and for people that don't know, tell a little bit about him historically, as in the blues, because he was a member of the the Mississippi Sheiks.
1: He was a member of the of a family band. His family band called the Mississippi Sheiks, and they were one of the earliest uh, recording string bands uh, in the in the twenties and thirties. And recorded they were they were very popular because they recorded all kinds of music. They they didn't just stick to blues or or string band. They did white music for parties. They did music where they could get gigs all over.
0: And their and their big song that most what was that? Sitting on top of the world. They did kind of the original version of that.
1: Sitting on top of the world. Right, exactly. That's the song I sang at Sam's funeral when he when he passed. Um, But uh, yeah, the the family itself was very musical, very talented. uh, There was uh, Charlie. Charlie Patton is a a half brother. Bo Carter is a brother. He changed his name. Those are all influential and very famous uh, traditional style blues people from Mississippi. Also, and they were all kin to Sam. Um, But Sam and I just had a very close relationship personally as friends. You know, I I know somebody has asked me, "Well, did you ask him about this and did you ask him about that?" And I said, "No, man." (laughs) we didn't talk about that. We, we talked about what we're going to eat for lunch. You know? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't quiz him or, or, uh, interview him. I didn't feel like that was what it was about.
0: How did you first, you know, he was at that point, I guess, was he still an active performer?
1: Yes. Yes, he, he was, he was performing, uh, mostly, uh, locally by then, but you know, um, I don't think he had gone. I don't think he went back out to California after I'd met him. He he had gone out there several times before, but I think he had quit doing that when I met him. Um, but he mostly played around, you know, the Delta Blues Festival and any kind of gig around uh, around the Delta and Hollandale. He would come to Jackson and play for college parties, and you know, if you had some money to give him and wanted want him to play, if he wanted to, he'd do it. You know. He came to Pascagoula and played uh, down here one time for us, stayed at the house and, um, you know, rode a, had a horrible Greyhound bus ride down, but, uh, you know, we were broke and couldn't (laughs) go get him either. So it was just the way it was back
0: then. So what were your visits like with him? Were you trying to get him to teach you music or were you just hanging out?
1: No, no. I was hanging out and I would watch him play until one day there was a bunch of guys there with us and they were all, oh, show me this, show me this, show me this. And I think he just got aggravated and he said, y'all get on out of here. I want to show her something. And, you know, that was the first time he he sat me down and showed me uh, specifically some legs. I had been picking up some of his stuff and I would show him what I was trying to do, you know, on previous visits. But that day he sat me down and, you know, Wanted me to learn a song, so uh, that was uh, that was a little different and unusual from the usual visits we had had, but I think mainly it was because he was just aggravated. Those guys kept bugging him to asking him questions, you know. He ran him off.
0: So at this point, you were just kind of hanging out and absorbing, but not you were still not kind of playing and performing in front of anyone.
1: Nope, nope, I was not then. No, I was playing at home.
0: You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour, and I'm Larry Morrissey, your host today. Our guest is uh, remotely is Libby Ray Watson. She's a blues musician and a member of the Arts Commission's artist roster. She lives on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Um, and so there was Sam Chapman, but you also got to meet some other of the kind of legends of that of that time period, kind of the late '70s and early '80s. Who were some of the others that you got to associate with?
1: The other one that I was around, well, there were there were two that I was around a lot. One was a, a harmonica player named Johnny Woods, who used to play with Mississippi Fred McDowell, and and then there was Big Joe Williams, who I spent a lot of time with. Didn't didn't uh, learn specifically anything from either one of those because I can, I don't play harp, and Big Joe, good lord, nobody can copy him. He made sure of that, <laughs> so. Uh, you know those were the other two that I knew but I' met RL Burnside and we'd go to RL's house a lot and Jesse Mae Hill up in Como and uh, you know we uh, Furry Lewis up in Memphis a lot of the Memphis performers uh, that were around at that time uh, miss van hunt who was a woman uh, blues singer on Beale Street and uh, there was a lot lots of folks at that time that were still living but you know shortly after that and about the early to mid 80s we started losing a lot of those people
0: now I'm I hope I'm remembering this story right didn't you like accompany Big Joe to see a very famous uh, musician
1: I sure did right there in Jackson over there at the Coliseum uh, back in November of 1978 Bob Dylan was playing at the uh, at the Coliseum and Big Joe knew Bob Dylan from Chicago, and he had always told us stories about how he called him Little Bobby. He said, "Little Bobby, he'd come up there and sit down at my feet in the park and watch me play when he was just a boy." And uh, he, and so we, we took him to the show. We didn't know if we could get in or not. I mean, it was security out, out the everywhere, you know, and they weren't letting the people in. As it turned out, somehow, they the path was cleared, and we drove up to the back of the Coliseum and they ushered us right in to the backstage area and here came Bob Dylan and he came out and sat and talked to us all very nice and uh he told me that uh he said what I learned from Joe was he he taught me how to double thump my thumb when I'm playing he taught me the trick about double thumbing and uh I thought that was pretty cool (laughs) but uh he was just as nice as he could be and was tickled to death that we brought Joe up there to see him.
0: And now, Joe was known for having a bit of a, you know, he, he was kind of a tall tale teller or, or he had such an amazing life. You couldn't know what was real and what wasn't. So I guess it was kind of, yeah, it was Joe, Joe? Joe Williams, right? I mean, he kind of had, he, he he did a lot of stuff, but you couldn't tell, or at least that's what I've I've read about him.
1: Yeah, I don't know, man. Joe had a he had a, a memory like you wouldn't believe, and and uh, you know, I'm not sure what specifically you're referring to, but I I don't doubt that he did anything that uh, he you know he did probably everything he's told about. <laughs> That's Joe. Uh, I I don't know. You know, I don't think he had to exaggerate too much. I guess is what I'm saying. He he was. Uh, Pretty, pretty, pretty well-known character, and you know what's funny about people like Joe, is he had little to no formal education at, at all, but he traveled the whole world. He traveled all over the place, met all kinds of people. Always had a big wad of money in his back pocket. He was not poor, uh, as far as that goes, uh, you know. In in friends and life and everything else, you know, but he come home to he'd come home to Crawford and lived in that tiny little old trailer. It's just like a hot box
0: so kind of after the these kind of guys from the kind of the early era big joe and sam and all these people had passed on were you still kind of active in the blues scene or did you take a step back or what you know that kind of going into the 80s and 90s what
1: well, the '90s was the '90s was full of the band stuff that I was talking about earlier with the Liberators. So that was about ten years of that, or nine and a half, in the '90s. And the and the '80s, nah, just, uh, I just I was you know down here being a coast rat, playing at home, <laughs> you know, going to Florida to the beach and yeah, going out to the islands and that kind of thing. Just normal coast life.
0: What got you? What got you to start the band? What, tell tell about the genesis of that.
1: Well, it, it, well, it, it wasn't a conscious thought. Uh, it was just a group of friends that would come over to the house every weekend. We would look forward to playing together uh, here at my house, and and it became to to the point where we, we were getting pretty good, you know, because we'd play two or three times a week. And what I I don't know if you know this, but I was a dental hygienist. That was my job for thirty years. I. I I was a dental hygienist, and one of my dental patients' daughter was getting married, and he knew that I had played music, and he asked me if we would play for her wedding, and I'm thinking, good Lord, what kind of songs do I know that we can play at a wedding that are happy? <laughs> and, you know, so some of those old blues songs are the songs we've been playing, but uh, we pulled it off, and we did okay, so we decided, okay, we did that, let's try another one, so we Well, we knew it. We were playing a lot down here on the coast, Uh, you know, all up and down the coast.
0: This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. And we're talking with Libby Ray Watson. She's a blues musician from the Gulf Coast and she's a member of the Arts Commission's Artist Roster. That's right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're glad to have you. Um, so Libby Ray, over the last several years, you've you've done a lot of partnering with other musicians and in different groupings and duos and that. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about some of those projects. Sure.
1: Um, well, there's a group of friends that, uh, that we have all been up at Clarksdale for the juke joint festival every year. And we decided that since we all are there and we all like each other and we all like each other's music, we just started playing together and booking a gig and we, you know, I, you know, At first, we didn't know what to even call ourselves, and somebody said, you got to have a name. So we came up with the Stoop Down Rounders. So the Stoop Down Rounders play up around Juke Joint Festival and also sometimes around uh, King Biscuit and Deep Blues up around Clarksdale. And that consists of uh, any number of people. It could be Wesley and Bill Steber. Wes is from Petal, Mississippi. Bill from up in Murfreesboro. Uh, there's another friend named Walker T. Ryan who's out on the West Coast. Another friend from Cleveland, Ohio. His name is Austin Walking Kane, and then we have Sammy Baker on bass, and sometimes a friend named Sam Rourkes. It can be we can fill up the joint, um, and then uh, in August sometimes I'll tour with uh, my friend Ramblin' Steve Gardner comes over from Japan. He's from up around Pocahontas, Mississippi, originally, and and we do a thing. Um, called the Jericho Road Show, and that includes Ramblin' Steve and myself and Wesley and Bill Steber, And we did a tour for the state of Mississippi in 2016 that was uh, going around to tell everyone, you know, trying to show the people of our state what we have to offer here in Mississippi with our own music, just trying to educate people as as, to what they they own, their ownership of the music that, that the world is listening to. So that was a lot of fun. So those are mainly my collaboration people: or Bill Stever, uh, Wesley, Sammy Baker, Ramblin' Steve. Uh, you know, just who whoever shows up.
0: And now your your latest album is a is a uh, is a collaboration as well. It's
1: a collaboration with a friend I met on uh, on Facebook actually, but and we met because of our mutual love for Sam Chapman, and his name is Bert Divert. Bert is originally from uh, up the East Coast, but he has been a resident in Sweden for 40 years. And he's an excellent blues mandolin player. And um, he had he invited me to come to a tour uh, last year in, in Sweden. And I didn't meet him until I got off the bus. That was the first time we met, and we played the biggest uh, blues festival in Sweden uh, two days later. But we hit it off great, our music hit it off great friendship hit it off great and we did this record called she shimmy together and that's our newest one we released it right in the middle of a pandemic
0: so. <laughs> excellent timing.
1: <laughs> who knew
0: so tell me about recording with bert um did you do it while you were over in sweden or, or how did that work
1: yeah uh, we did in fact uh he has a, an excellent little studio up at his house there that we worked on and he just said one day hey why don't we do some stuff while you're here i got the studio and i said sure so i did just about all my guitar and vocal tracks there and after i left he started uh, the process of adding and uh you know and and making it what it became you know so she shimmy i'm real proud of i think we 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 had a lot of fun making it and i'm real proud of the songs that are on it and i think we we've I would like to do another one of those with Bert. He's a good person to uh, collaborate with.
0: And is that, so is that out kind of uh, out on the electronic kind of uh, iTunes and those kind of places?
1: Not, Not yet. We were trying to wait a little while before we put it out on things like Spotify or anything like that and trying to do our own sales. That'll probably change because at the time we made that initial plan, we weren't where we are now. That was so January. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Those thoughts were long ago. So uh, right now, no, the only way to get it really is through uh, my website. And that's LibbyRay.com, L-I-B-B-Y-R-A-E.com.
0: And so kind of where we're at right now, uh, we're talking in late May. Um, you know, we're not sure when kind of the, the music world is going to come back, but... How are you, are you, are you doing any playing at home? Are you doing any, uh, composing or other yeah, kind of uh, musical stuff?
1: I am. I've been working on a couple of songs, uh, recently. I'm not really a, I'm not a songwriter. I, I write songs, but you know, I'm not one of those people who really <laughs> knows what they're, what they're doing. Uh, but, um, but I write about what I feel. So I guess that works too. Um, so I'm working on two songs here and, uh, trying to get those together and other than that just i do other things too i actually uh do a little art stuff and you know folk artie stuff uh so you know yeah i'm staying busy in this isolation i'm not i'm not having a problem <laughs> i i miss my people i miss going out and playing the music of course but you know um i i can adjust you know we have to
0: when looking kind of through your your bio stuff the one um, kind of international tour that I was interested in hearing I said that you toured the Maritimes of Canada which is like kind of what the eastern kind of those yeah. eastern provinces and, Right, and not right I've heard much about those it's a kind of a different kind of place and I was just curious oh, about man. what that experience was like That
1: was great and my friend Doc McLean um, he's a Canadian guy who also knew Sam Chapman and that's how I met Doc uh, he and Colin Linden uh, who is an excellent musician, songwriter, very famous, won lots of awards. They both were uh, called themselves the Barbecue Boys, and they put out an album with Sam called Sam Chapman and His Barbecue Boys. Well, we've stayed in touch all these years, and um, Doc invited me in 2013 to come up to the Maritimes and do a little tour around there with him, which we did, and it was a lot of house parties and things like that. It was great. It was so so much fun. We had a blast. Nice, nice people. Couldn't have been, couldn't have been nicer.
0: Where do you think kind of, you know, I, I know we don't know where things are going now, but in terms of, you know, the type of music you play and, and, and places to go, where are some areas that you're hoping to kind of branch out in where you think people might be receptive to, to your style?
1: Uh, whew, I, 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 don't really know. I hadn't really thought about it like that. Um, you know, obviously, any, anywhere that if, if they call and invite me, I figure they must have investigated enough to know what kind of music I play. So hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll know they're getting a traditional style artist. Um, and I'm happy to do for anybody that, that is, you know, interested in that kind of music. I think it's very important to pass it on. That's one of the reasons that when I quit playing it during those years, I felt horribly guilty um, I had, a t- I had some knowledge that, I- that I was, you know, hoarding to myself and it needed to be put out there. And, you know, I, I, I felt the need to get out and play again because it was my, uh, that's my job, you know, to spread that music that I'd been taught. So kind of passing, passing that, keeping the flame going kind of thing, you know, you get distracted in life and things have to remind you to get back to it, but, uh. But I
0: eventually made my way back. Well, and I think you've always tried to keep learning. And one of the things I was hoping we'd talk a little bit about is your most recent work, uh, uh, working, uh, serving, doing a folk art apprenticeship, which is one of our grant programs for master traditional artists. And you did uh, some lessons with uh, Little Joe Ayers, who's a pretty well known um, North Mississippi bluesman.
1: Yeah, and you know, little, little Joe and I met at, in 2016 at the Foxfire Ranch at a festival they were having there, and he's, he he reminds me so much of Sam in so many ways, I tell people that, because we hit it off right off the bat. I just talked to him today, I talked to him yesterday, I talked to him the day before yesterday. You know, we talk every day still. Um, but yes, I was tickled to death to be able to get that, get that grant, uh, for Joe to get the grant to teach me. Um, and so we had, uh, we had a lot of fun doing that. And not only did he teach me songs, we rode around up in his area of the woods and he showed me places like where he was born, where, you know, where he was married, his parents, graves, you know, we, just the history of him. So, um, it was a lot. Of, I, I loved it and I love little Joe. He's great.
0: What are, now Joe kind of comes out of that, that North Hill country kind of sound. What, you know, which was Different from kind of the classic Delta players, what what are some distinct things distinctive to his style that you that you got to pick up on through the apprenticeship?
1: The thumb, the thumb is very important in hill country. You got to keep that thumb beat going, and, and and I'd always, you know, I'd known how to pick and pluck and do things with my thumb. Sam taught me that, but hill country style is a little different, and uh, and you know, it's it's constant. Uh, You know, when I first started doing it, my thumb was cramping. (laughs) You know, I was like, "I got to build that muscle up better." Uh, But uh, it's and it's a it's a you know some people say, "Oh, it all sounds the same." It's not the same. And if you try to do it because you think it's easy, it's not. I'm just saying, it's not easy. Um, But that was mainly what I learned from Joe was learning how to work that thumb and that hill country sound.
0: What kind of stuff do you, you know, we, we don't know what's going to come back, but do you have any kind of plans for like later in the year or next year, things that are coming up that you're, you're hoping are going to maybe happen, you know, in the well, more distant future?
1: I, I don't know about anything for the rest of this year. Uh, next year, I'm hoping that they're uh, going to continue to keep us on the schedule for the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival if they do that. And I'm sure if Duke Joint Festival happens in April next year, we'll be on that. But as far as the rest of this year right now, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in the in the fall yet. Uh, there's Deep Blues Festival up there that I usually perform around or at. And, you know, everybody's just kind of in limbo right now. we just got a lot, a lot of wait-and-see things to need to take place first.
0: Were you going to play by yourself at, at Jazz Fest or was it with a group? Or a, uh, Well, or a...
1: Bert, the plan this year was Bert was coming over from Sweden and we were going to all do Juke Joint Fest together uh, with all those said people that I would talked about earlier. And then Bert and I and Bill and Sammy were going to New Orleans and do the Jazz Fest, uh, Bill Stevens, Sammy Baker. So that was our plan. It was going to be me and Bert and Sammy and Bill.
0: And uh, Bill uh, Steiber, by the way, also a very talented photographer. He just oh
1: man, yes, he just uh, was recognized recently for his work. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, he got one of the uh, Southern Prize awards uh, given out by South Arts, uh, who's uh, the regional arts organization in Atlanta.
1: He's a talented man. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, he is musically too.
0: So, Libby Ray, for the people uh, who want to learn more about you and and your your new cd tell everybody all the the points of contact for you
1: well my main points of contact for the cds or or even email me or anything is is the uh, website libby Ray, uh dot com so uh l-i-b-b-y-r-a-e dot com and that will have um uh, any information and a place you can send me a message or whatever uh um, some of the things, uh, I'm not sure what, I think there's one of my first CDs may be on uh, iTunes. It's called Sweet and Salty, um, and it is just a solo uh, CD of analog tapes that were submerged in Hurricane Katrina. So they sound like the old 78s or something. <laughs> they sound funny. <laughs> but I think that was the only one that may be on iTunes. I, I don't know that we have any of the other things listed on Spotify or or anything yet. Um, usually kind of wait a little bit and try to see what you can do on your own before you, before you start giving them your money.
0: This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app.